coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me today is my longtime co-host, Curtis, and with the NFL Draft just a few short days away, should be a lot of fun this weekend, today we're going to turn our eyes towards the draft and preview it as it relates to some of Georgia's top draft prospects. We're going to discuss the buzz surrounding all of our guys as the the draft approaches, uh, the projections, how we evaluate our guys as prospects. We're going to talk Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, Andrew Thomas, and all the other big Georgia Bulldog names in this year's draft. I've said this many times before, but for some of our newer listeners, I just want to make sure everyone knows at the outset here, I am not a huge NFL guy. That's not my thing. I'm a diehard college football guy. The NFL game just, it just honestly doesn't have the same draw for me. I know a lot of people love the NFL. You're big Falcons fans, and that's great. That's awesome. Uh, It's just not my thing. It's far more corporate and more generic than the college game. But hey, with the sports world effectively being shut down over the coronavirus, I will take what I can get gladly. And I am honestly way more excited about this year's NFL draft than I ever have been, at least I can ever remember being. It's it's usually just something that kind of happens in the periphery for me this time of year, but this year, that's not the case. I am all in. And, and I will say, the, the NFL draft, if there is one aspect of the NFL that usually catches my attention maybe a little bit more than uh, the other things, at least during the offseason, it would certainly be the NFL draft uh, because to me, that's the truest intersection between the college and pro games. So at least for this one week, this one year, I am all in on this. I'm certainly not an expert on the NFL, and I'm not going to try to be, but I've got you covered when it comes to the college game and college prospects. So, all right, let's get to the good stuff. We're going to go through this player by player. We're not going to cover every single draft eligible player uh, from last year's team, but we're going to cover the big names, guys that have kind of been in the news lately with uh, rumors and buzz, all that kind of fun stuff. And we're going to start with the most intriguing Georgia prospect in this NFL draft class, at least as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's totally my opinion. I could be wrong there, but I'm most intrigued by where he lands, and that is quarterback Jake Fromm. And I say he's the most intriguing prospect because there's just a wide divergence of opinion on where he's going to land in this week's draft, which, of course, is exacerbated by the fact that the rumors and buzz are honestly, they're so hard to come by right now uh, compared to, to most years with, with the NFL facilities, team operations basically being closed down. And really just the, the typical lead up to the draft has basically been upended by the coronavirus. Uh, so uh, it, I'm, I'm very interested to see where he lands and because the, the opinions seem pretty divergent from each other, which is not all that surprising because even if you ask the Georgia fan base, if you ask one guy and you ask another guy, they're probably going to have two very different opinions on Jake Fromm. That's kind of, he's just kind of been that lightning rod uh, player throughout most of his career for a variety of different reasons, which we've talked about ad nauseum over the past couple of years. So we don't want to get into all of that, but uh, we want to look at this from an NFL draft perspective. So I've got a couple of quotes here from a variety of different sources to kind of sum up where Jake Fromm is, or how he's looked at going into this NFL draft and kind of just the divergence of opinion on where he will land and what kind of prospect he is. So uh, NFL.com reporter Tom Pelissero, I guess that's how you pronounce it. We're going to go with that. Uh, had an, According to an AFC scout, he has reported 
that uh, Jake, this is uh, a quote from an AFC scout, that quote, Jake probably has the best makeup and character of anybody literally in the entire draft. He's an awesome dude. His teammates love him. He works his balls off. Okay. Uh, He's as self-made as they come. He's just not very talented. So that's one AFC scout to NFL.com reporter Tom Pelissero. Another AFC scout, also to NFL.com reporter Tom Pelissero, uh, said, quote, he's amazingly brilliant in terms of picking up the offense and everything. He's fought off two five stars. All he does is play in big games and win games. He just doesn't have the arm talent or the physical athletic ability of these other cats. Um, and then uh, an NFC quarterback coach takes it a step further, according to Tom Pelissero. Um, and he says, quote, I'm not sold on the arm strength, the size or the athleticism. I liked his decision-making, and I really like the kid. He's a football junkie. He's got the right makeup for sure. Now, the physical stuff is concerning. If he goes anywhere before the third round, that's reaching. So that's uh, that's one take. That, that kind of sums up how a lot of people feel about Jake Fromm. But there's been at least some buzz about Fromm moving up the draft boards over the past couple of weeks as Jim Nagy, who's the senior uh, uh, he's the senior bowl director, these days. Uh, Here's what he had to say about Jay Fromm. He said, quote, one guy that's really hot right now among quarterback coaches in the league that are on all these Zoom calls, these guys, is Jake Fromm from Georgia. People are knocking him a little bit about arm talent and the physical stuff, but the same things were said about Drew Brees when he came out. I'm not equating Jake Fromm to Drew Brees right now because Drew is a first ballot Hall of Famer, but there's a reason why Drew latched in the second round, and there's a reason why San Diego moved on from Drew and took and, uh, took him to land in New Orleans. Jake Fromm is a name to keep an eye out of someone sneaking into the end of the first round and taking him there. So you got on one hand, Kurt, you've got an NFL quarterback coach saying that he'd be stunned if he goes anywhere before the third round. Then you have Jim Nagy, the senior bowl director, saying that from the buzz that he's hearing lately, it's it's possible that Jake Fromm might be a late first round draft pick. So who has it right, Kurt? Is Fromm closer to being outside the first three rounds or closer to being a late surprise first-round pick? If I had to pick, I'm going to be honest and think it's outside the first three rounds. I think that's more so where he lands. Um, to me, he's very similar to like an Aaron Murray type. And, I mean, uh, he, he may be a little bit more athletic than Aaron Murray, but I think like very similar type person. You know, the hard worker, did everything, was the starter, beat people out and things like that. But they are limited, and I just don't see the Drew Brees comparison, in my opinion. And that's, that's that's why, you've been saying that for years, right? Drew Brees, Drew Brees, right? Why don't you see that? Well, first off, Drew Brees throws a beautiful deep ball, and I think that's actually – arm strength can be an issue and everything, but I think that's actually probably Jake Fromm's biggest weakness is you may don't have to have the strongest arm throw at 70 yards, but you still need to throw a better deep ball, and I think that's one thing that really hurts him. Yeah, and the reason I think that Jake Fromm has had trouble with the deep ball in the past is, is you're exactly right. He doesn't have the strongest arm. And so if you watch Jake Fromm throw like we all have for years now, he put, when he throws the ball vertically down the field, he puts everything he has into that ball. It's not easy for him, right? Like he, he puts so – he has to because he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's got to put so much into it to get the ball vertically down the field that he loses some control of his accuracy when he tries to take those shots down the field. Because to me, he's always been very accurate in the short and intermediate range. Uh, his, his completion percentage numbers will tell you that. But you're right. There have been some issues. We've talked about this before plenty of times with him pushing the ball down the field in, in, accurate, uh, ac- with, in his accuracy on the deep ball. And I think that's because he doesn't have that strong of an arm. and He, he just has to put so much effort into trying to – you know, uncork it down the field 
that it takes away from some of his accuracy and some of his control, uh, putting the ball on the money where it needs to be uh, on those vertical throws. So I, I agree with you there. But do you see like why some people comp- – like why do you think some people do compare you, – you did a really good job there explaining why he isn't Drew Brees, but why do you think people make that comparison so often when talking about Jake Fromm? Um, probably just all the other intangibles. You know, the fact that he's a hard worker, he, he's a very smart guy, knows where he wants to go with the ball for the most part. He has a lot of those similar traits as Drew Brees, but I sometimes th- am not sure if he has that it factor that Drew Brees has. Yeah, I, I, I think the reason I see why some people make this comparison, and it comes down to like the cerebral nature of both those guys. The idea that neither one was super physically gifted; they're both on the sh- the smaller, shorter size, um, solid-ish arms, decent arms, but nothing spectacular. Um, and it kind of had to work for everything to get to where they are. It had to do it by understanding defenses and working their tails off, the hard work ethic, all that kind of stuff. So I see that comparison, but like, but I kind of agree with you, Kerr. Like, and he, and Jim Nagy kind of says it here. Like, Drew Brees is the first first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, there's like I have a, I have trouble comparing anybody to Drew Brees, and I see, yeah, okay, there are some there are some similarities between Fromm and Brees. But to say that Fromm's just, hey, he's going to be Drew Brees, I, I, I don't know if we can go well, that especially far. Especially, like, you saw signs of what Drew Brees could do in college. I mean, the guy put up some pretty good numbers. Um, but he played a different kind of offense with Joe Tiller at Purdue. But, yeah, he did put up massive numbers. We played him in Outback Bowl one year. I remember watching that when I was a kid. Was that a game that we had the black pants on? I want to say it might have been the game we wore some black pants. I could be wrong there. But, yeah, I remember that game. Um and yeah, so Drew Brees, like he, yeah, he was really, really good at Purdue. Uh, the, Joe Tiller was one of the early uh, advocates of a spread-ish type offense, not the kind of spread offenses we see nowadays, but more so than our traditional pro offense that Jake Fromm was allowed to run. I honestly, I would be curious to see what Jake Fromm would look like in more of a spread offense. We've always talked about Kerr, like like when we went up tempo, wasn't that when we always said Jake Fromm was at his best when he was able to kind of move the offense with some, with some tempo? Uh, it was. And, and, I, and I don't know. I, I just, I'm curious what he would have looked like, what his numbers would have been like, and what the perception of Jake Fromm would have been coming out of college if he ran a different offense, was asked to do different things. So obviously, he does not have the athleticism. One thing I would say about Fromm, and I agree with you, I would, I think it's more likely he ends up in the third round or later than, it, than he sneaks into the first round. I hope I am wrong there. I really do. But I, I think it's probably more likely that he'll end up in the, in the late third to maybe fourth round. And who knows, maybe he sneaks in the second round. But um, I think it's more likely third or later than, than first round. Uh, and I, you mentioned Aaron Murray. And I, I've actually been thinking about this the past couple of days as we've gotten closer and closer to the draft. When you see all this news, all this buzz about Jake Fromm, where he might end up landing – and I, I, I actually think he is a less talented, less athletic Aaron Murray. I, I, I honestly believe that. Am I crazy saying that? I could see it. I mean, Aaron Murray actually had wheels. The guy could run and do things. Yeah, I mean, um, Murray wasn't a burner. Don't get me wrong, but he was way more Murray, athletic than Jake was. Murray had a lot better arm, too. Yeah, Murray had a better arm. Um, he was not a super mobile guy, but certainly, in my opinion, more so than Jake was. I mean, Jake, Jake basically runs like a, a 4.9, 5 flat 40. I mean, that, that, that's crazy. Um, it's, God, that's, I can't believe that, but he does. Uh, Murray was more like a 4.7, 4.8 kind of guy. So not like crazy more athletic, but certainly more athletic. I think he had a, a better arm. But you could also say Murray had a lot of the cerebral aspects of his game as Jake Fromm did. I mean, Murray was like Jake Fromm before Jake Fromm. Like, he was the guy that, was, that came in here, had to work. He worked really hard. He was uh, maybe a little bit of a higher rated prospect out of high school, out of playing high school in, in Tampa, but he had to work really hard. Had that, He was always kind of, kind of played up that the work ethic he had, the leadership skills he had, uh, the, the fact that he was a film junkie, all that kind of stuff that he could read defenses at an early age. Um, he was ready from an early, from early, an early point in his career because he just 
understood the game. All the things that we say about Jake Fromm, we said about Aaron Murray. But I just think Murray was a more physically talented and athletic guy than what Jay Fromm was. And Murray was allowed to run a little bit of a different offense. We pushed the ball for a little bit more late with Mike Bobo and his uh, career here as office coordinator. But uh, yeah, so if, if Murray wasn't a high draft pick and didn't really stick that long in the NFL, I have a hard time thinking Jake Fromm will. And I, and I, and look, I know I'm the president of the Jay Fromm fan club and it pains me to say, it cause I love the kid. I mean, everything they were saying about him earlier, like, some of those AFC scouts, he's an awesome dude. His teammates love him. He works his balls off. He's a self-made as they come. Uh, all he does is play in big games and win games. All that stuff's true. And that's why I always love Jake Fromm. That's why I'm the president. I took the job as the president of Jake Fromm Fan Club. Is I've just come to judge people the older I've gotten based more on things that are in their control. I know, look, in sports, judgments of how good a player is have to, at least on some level, and probably – on a very significant level, include their God-given natural tools because that is undoubtedly a very big part of the formula that yields their ultimate performance on the field of play. But on the other hand, I've, I've always been someone, at least now that I've gotten older and older, that judges you more based on like on the things that you can control rather than the cards you were dealt. Some of us get a great hand of cards. Some of us get a really crappy hand of cards. You can't really control whether you are six foot five or 6-1, or whether you have a rocket arm, or a questionable arm, or, or whether you're a 4-4 four, four guy, or a 5-flat guy. Like, sure, you can do little things here and there to make yourself a little bit faster, or your arm ever so slightly stronger, but the reality is, in large part, as a football player, you just kind of are what you are physically. There are some things you can control, I will admit that, like, you know, for example, how hard you hit the weights, uh, and uh, how you diet, those kind of things. But other than that, like really in large part, you are what you are physically. So I, I typically lean towards judging guys based on the things they can control, how hard they work, how they dedicate themselves to their craft, their guts, their toughness, their leadership abilities, and how you treat other people and your attitude. Those are the things that you can control. And I just personally believe those things tell you a lot more about a person than some God-given physical trait does. And I just simply always felt Jake was extremely impressive in terms of those things he could control. But when it comes down to it, you have to admit, he's just certainly not the most talented guy in the world. Now, some of the, the arm velocity, did you see those um, arm velocity numbers that came out late last week? Yeah, I was a little surprised by that. I don't, I mean, we also and have all these combine warriors running four fours. And that's more of a uh, of a new age type uh, measure. Like you don't see that uh, very often. I mean, I'm, like that's if you haven't seen that very often in the past, that's more of a new thing, right? Like, and if you look at some of those for this year, Jacob Eason, unsurprisingly, we all know how strong his arm was. Uh, was okay. So this is arm velocity measured by a radar gun in miles per hour. So they measure you to the left and to the right in case you guys didn't see this. And Jacob Eason was 59 uh, miles per hour to the left, 59 to the right. Uh, let's see another, uh, Justin Herbert's 55 to the left, 54 to the right. Jalen Hurts, 54 to the left, 51 to the right. Here's Jake Fromm, uh, 53 to the left, 53 to the right. So really competitive with Justin Herbert, who's seen as a clear, surefire first round draft pick. You got, uh, Joe Burrow didn't throw to it, didn't throw. You won't have those guys. Although Burrow doesn't have a super strong arm and maybe a little bit better than Jake. So Jake's arm, uh, was it's certainly not like a, a super, like a, a howitzer on his, on his right arm there on his right shoulder, but it's it's competent enough. That's why I've always like it's good enough. But I do think you're right. Going back to trying to push the ball down the field, I think he has to put so much onto it that he loses some control on that ball. But look, I don't know. Like 
I really want him to go in the first round. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think it's probably third or later uh, would be the more likely possibility here. Like, where, do you see any like it, if a team jumps up and they draft in the first round on a scale of one to ten, how shocked would you be? Uh, pretty shocked. I I, I would seven. honestly right now like a nine or a ten if he went in the first round. Like, I know there's some buzz right now, I mean, but I would be stunned. I mean, even Jordan Love, like, yeah, Fromm have better job protecting the ball, but they're both projects when it comes down to it. And who's gonna if who's gonna be the long term project that you want to invest in? Someone that already has what the some of the intangibles that Jake Fromm will never have. Well, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting comparison there with Jordan Love. Because Jordan Love is kind of the op- I see him as the opposite of Jake Fromm. He's a guy like Jake is a guy who understands football from from a football IQ standpoint. He's off the freaking charts, and all the scouts, all the quarterback coaches will say that. And they, I read you out some of those quotes. Whereas Jordan, but he's as I said, he's just not that talented compared to the other guys. Jordan Love to me is the opposite there. Like, he has way more physical tools than Jake Fromm has. He's more the prototype than Jake Fromm. Although Fromm's of arm velocity numbers are actually better than well let me take that back no slightly below slightly below uh jordan love like one mile per hour so not like but but right there but he just has more fit like love has more physical tools so it's it's kind of an interesting case study here are nfl coaches and gms are they going to go with jordan love the guy that's got more physical upside or jay Fromm, the guy that's got more mental upside or he's just more mentally prepared to contribute right away and i think if if you have watched the nfl draft for years which i'm sure most of you have they almost always go with the physical upside, right, Kurt? Oh yeah, you uh, like very, very often, especially like where he's more than likely going to get picked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think if if you're looking at between Jake Fromm and Jordan Love, I think it's probably going to be Jordan Love going ahead of Jake Fromm just because of that physical upside, and that's just what the scouts drool over. And like, and we all knew that once Jake Fromm got into the rooms of these guys, that he would blow them away with with the kind of guy he is and his knowledge of the game the problem i think i honestly think this coronavirus shutdown really hurt jay because he wasn't able to get in front of these these front offices these coaches these scouts like he would have been now you can do some zoom here and there but it's just not the same as getting in a room with him and 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 get on the chalkboard or the dry race board now and and just drawing up some football some x's and o's that's just, just not the same so i do think that hurt him to a degree we'll see how much or maybe i'm wrong i don't know but yeah i i just i'd be shocked if you win the first round hope i'm wrong but i would be shocked Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But all right, let's move on and let's go to Andrew Thomas. Offensive tackle Andrew Thomas, who look, we all know is a surefire first round draft pick. Uh, but according to Bleacher Report NFL draft analyst Matt Miller, this is from his Twitter account on April 15th, so just a couple of days ago. He said, quote, hearing from a lot of very different sources this morning that Andrew Thomas could be the first offensive tackle off the board. Um, and that was kind of a change from what you've been hearing for the uh, past couple weeks leading up to that point where guys like Tristan Wirth from Iowa and Makai Becton for Louisville were seen as guys that were potentially going to go ahead of Andrew Thomas, at least in a lot of those mock drafts that were coming out. So, Kurt, Andrew Thomas, like I said, he's going in the first round. We know that. The bigger question for him is where. So where do you see him going in the first round? Do you agree with Miller that he could be the first offensive tackle off the board, or will he slide to maybe the second, third, or fourth tackle off the board? 
I believe he should be the first. I think it was a joke, especially when you saw them talking about the guy from Alabama, Wills, being drafted ahead of him. Um, yeah. And just like, I mean, just uh, like the guy from Louisville, all he is is another Andre Smith. Um, yep. Do you actually want a guy who – and I don't get it either. It's not like uh, Thomas is limited or anything like that, like Isaiah Wynn or anything like that. Like The guy's got the NFL body. So I'm very confused as to why they – like. Why I honestly, they, what is the knock on Andrew Thomas? Like that's what strength? I mean. I got bench press. Like, what is the knock on him from an athletic standpoint, from a length standpoint, from a production standpoint, the highest level? It's all there. I just don't understand what the knock is on him. He's just not as big as Beckton and worse, maybe. Yeah, like, that's I don't why I've been it. very confused. Like, where can you – like, the guy gave up, what, one sack in his entire career? Like, where's the knock? Yeah, that that's exactly where I've been. I mean, and like I know that we're biased. Obviously, we're Georgia guys. I get that. I try to. I mean, I, and look, we always try to look at this as objectively as we can. I mean, I, we just said that we think Jay Fron's probably closer to being in the third or fourth round than the first round because that's just what I'm seeing right now. But Andrew Thomas is a little different for me. I I don't understand why he would be behind Worfs or Beckton. And, and you can call me a homer. That's cool. Whatever. I probably am, but I just I don't see because to me Tristan Worfs is a right tackle 100 all the way. So if you want to take, if you think you need a right tackle and you and you have a left tackle and you want a right tackle more than anything, go ahead and take Tristan Works. I don't think he is going to be a left a high level left tackle in the league. Now I am not an NFL expert. Uh, I watch NFL much more casually than I do college ball, which I watch uh, religiously uh, and pay attention to religiously. But I watch plenty of NFL football and Tristan Works. I do not see the athleticism, the footwork, and the length to be able to consistently hold up against elite pass rushers on uh, the left side. I just, I don't see that. I think he can be a really good right tackle, but you can take a right tackle over a left tackle. Like since when does that happen in the NFL? Mekhi Becton. He's just like Wills is a right tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Becton, like Becton can play left tackle and he might be a little bit more equipped to play than worse, but I still think Becton would be a better right tackle than left. I mean, to me, Andrew Thomas is clear. Like if you're talking about true left tackles, it's a no brainer to me that Andrew Thomas is the best, true, most surefire home run thing at left tackle in this draft, in my opinion. Um, I'm not saying those other guys aren't going to be good players. I think they probably will be, but I don't see them as translating to the left tackle position in the NFL as well as Andrew Thomas does. And that's just a, a more crit- – let's be real. I mean, you got to have a good right tackle, but you have to – I mean, left tackle is a much more critical position. For most quarterbacks, that is their blind side tackle. And that's that's the money position. So I just – I don't see it. It's like a left tackle can play right tackle, but right tackles can't play left tackle. So – do you want someone who can do everything for you or someone who's pigeonholed and not moving? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I never thought about that that way. But you're right. Yeah, left tackle. If you're a good left tackle, you can play right tackle. If you're right tackle uh, all the way, you probably aren't going to do that well at left tackle. That's a, that's a good way to put it there. So we'll see. I I, I still think that Thomas – I'm with Miller here. Look, I don't know. I'm not in these NFL draft boards. But just like like logically, looking at these prospects, it just doesn't make sense to me that anyone but Andrew Thomas – if you really want a left tackle, it doesn't make sense to me that you would go with anyone other than Andrew Thomas – uh, I, I, I see. I could see him sliding in the top ten-ish there. Um, at least that's where I would have him ahead of Worse, ahead of Beckton, Wills, all those guys. Uh, in, in my opinion, call me a homer if you want. That's fine. All right, let's stick with uh, with offensive tackle here for a minute. Let's stay with Isaiah Wilson. Now he's much more of a right tackle, as we were just talking about. Uh, and there's been like, and there's somewhat of a consensus when it comes to Wilson. Now, there has been some buzz that has him moving up into the first round. And this is from NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah, who I think does a really good job. And he said, quote, I talked to two GMs in the last 24 hours. Now, this was a couple days ago. We talked to two GMs in the last 24 hours, and both believe Georgia offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson will go in the first round. That's too rich for me, but it looks like it's going to happen, betting on the upside. 
So that's Daniel Jeremiah, a respected NFL draft analyst. And he says that he's hearing that Isaiah Wilson potentially is going to sneak into the late first round. Now, he's, in my opinion, he's another prospect a lot like Jake Fromm uh, that's kind of being projected all over the place as we get closer to the draft. CBS Sports, uh, their latest mock draft has him at number 33, so it's the first pick of the second round. Sporting News has him at number 64, um, which is much later in the second round. So they, there's not quite as much divergence on Wilson as there is from, but there's a little bit of a difference of opinion emerging as we get closer to the draft. So, Kurt, where do you land on Jeremiah's assertion that taking Wilson is too rich for his blood? Are you with him on that? I am. I think he's a second-round pick. I wouldn't take him the first round. Why not? Uh, especially, I mean, a lot of these people that you take in the first round are guys you need to play. Um, I still don't think he's a hundred percent ready to play even once he gets to the pros. I think he like adjusting to the speed of the game. Sometimes he would get beat by speed rushes and I still think that's going to be a problem for him. Yeah. That's why I say he's, I mean, I, we, that's why I've said before, and I'll say again, he's a right tackle all the way. Uh, going back to the conversation between right tackle and left tackles and, and where Andrew Thomas might land to me, a right tackle just isn't, I mean, they're valuable. You got to have them, but they're just not as valuable as a left tackle. So if you've got guys like Becton and Wirfs and uh, Willis from Alabama and obviously Andrew Thomas seen as left tackles ahead of him, even though I don't think all those guys are true left tackles, regardless, a lot of people in the league are are seeing them that way. They're being evaluated that way. I don't see how Wilson sneaks into the first round. Uh, I really don't. I I could see him as a high second round pick. What I don't see the need is they are either like that. Right. Yeah, with a, the, do you waste a, a first-round pick on a a very good right tackle with a really high physical upside, but he's a right tackle all the way and has no chance to play left tackle? Do you spend a first-round pick on that guy? No, I don't. If I'm a GM, and yeah, I don't personally, I don't. And I'm not a GM again. I'm more much more of a casual NFL guy, but I watch plenty of it, and I just I don't see the value of a right tackle going in the first round. And the thing is, like Isaiah Wilson, like why would you take him the first? Like you're gonna be able to get that guy in the second round, right? Like if you like him that much. Don't take him in the first round. Just trade up and get him in this. It, it, trade up your second round pick and get him earlier in the second round. That's what I would do. You you have to you have to give up less to trade to get him in the second round than go ahead and take him in the first round. That's my opinion. I, I, that's what I would do if I really really liked him, really really wanted him. I don't really see many teams taking a flyer on him in the first round. So if you think if you have a, if you have him with a first round grade, wait to the second round. If he's still there after the first couple of picks, try to trade up and get him there. If you're if you're late in the second round. That's personally how I would handle it. I know every situation is different and, and how many draft picks you have and what you want to give up and all that and what your needs are. But I, I just don't know if I would be willing to – I don't want to say take a flyer on him, but I, I don't think I would be willing to take him in the first round. I think I don't think the value is there personally. I think he can be a really good right tackle. Um, and his physical left side is off the charts. He doesn't have the footwork of Andrew Thomas, but like the way he's like put up like – he's the way he's built physically – I mean, he's a monster over there at right tackle. I think he'd be in a, I think he'd be a really, really good right tackle. But you're right. I think speed rushers have been an issue for him. Uh, so left tackle is completely off the is completely out of the question for me. So with that being said, I just don't see him as a first rounder. So I, I I'm with you. I'm with Jeremiah here. It's a little too rich for my blood. But again, I, I hope he does slide into the first round. That'd be awesome. Any any good news like that for us is great for our football. It's great for the player and it's also great for our football program as a whole. Um, all right, let's move on. And let's talk about DeAndre Swift, running back DeAndre Swift. Now, he's another guy that I think there's a general consensus here that he's either a late first round or early to mid second round type prospect here. And here's what ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet had to say about Swift recently when comparing him to some other running backs and where Swift should rank among those other backs. He said, quote, some people like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, some like Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins, but when these teams get on the clock, 
and have got to pick a running back, I think Swift's a three-down guy, which is what the NFL is probably looking for. You want to know, can he run between the tackles? Can he catch the ball and get on the perimeter and make people miss? I think those of us who have followed his career know that he can be that kind of guy. He's not necessarily a blazer, but he's incredibly quick to catch the ball. To me, he's the full package. So I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes and how he fits in well. So if you look at uh, where uh, these mock drafts have Swift going right now, a couple days before the draft, Mel Kuyper, obviously VSPN, Chris Trapasso, uh, I think of CBS Sports have him going uh, as the final pick in the first round, number 32 to the Chiefs. Sporting News and Bleach Report both have him going number 26, so late in the first round. CBS Sports uh, has him going f- number 40. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com has him going in the second round. And Gil Brandt, also of NFL.com, has him as the number 37 overall prospect in the draft. So either a late first to maybe mid-second round pick is kind of where he's viewed right now. So, Kurt, if you're an NFL GM, here's my question for you. Are you being a first-round pick on DeAndre Swift? If anyone is, if you draft a running back in the first round, then I don't know why you don't draft him. I agree with that. I think he is clearly, in my opinion, again, call me a homer, he's the best back in this draft. The most, I think he has the most NFL value in this draft. But would you take him if, you, if you're the GM? And I know teams have different needs. But let's just say that, you know, you have, like, you could use a good running back. Are you taking DeAndre Swift in the first round? Are you spinning that on a running back like him? See, that is he that is he a Leonard Fournette? I know, I'm not saying is he Leonard Fournette, but is he like good enough to where say, yeah, you know what? I know running backs aren't as valuable in this league as they once were, but this guy is good enough to convince me to take him in the first round. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. If my, if I'm in the last, you know, four to five picks of the first round and I need a running back and I like DeAndre Swift, I'm taking him. Uh, I, I would take him in late in the first round. I think I think there's enough value there. And I actually, I don't always agree with Kirk Herbstreit, but I will be honest here. I agree with everything he said. Don't you, Kurt? I do. I mean, especially the Clyde, uh, Clyde's Edward. I mean, that's the one thing that like I don't really see when it comes to the pros. Like I could, I mean, I could understand if you're talking Dobbins because he's very explosive, but explosive is not how I describe a layer. No, he's he's way more quick than he is fast. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I, and I and I think there's some, I think Edwards Hilaire can be a good player. I I just don't know if he's a three down back. I, th- I I see him more as a third down type guy. I don't see him as a three down every down type guy. I don't think he has the stature that a guy like DeAndre Swift has. And I know Swift's not the biggest guy in the world, but I always say this about Swift. You guys know if you listen to the show, Swift is short. He's not small. That dude is thick. All right, he is thick and powerful. He can run between the tackles with the best of them. Uh, great tackles, all get the tough yards. All we saw him do it all this year. He had to grind for his yards this year. The way defenses were playing us with our inability to push the ball vertically down the field with our issues at receiver and somewhat at quarterback. I guess at times um, he had to grind for yards, and he just uh, was so tough all year long. He proved something to me. Like we knew how explosive he could be, how quick he could be, how dangerous he could be in the open field. We knew all that from the first two years. What we didn't know is how consistently we'd be able to hold up and grind like that and that dude proved something to me this year i know his numbers weren't quite what they were in the past he didn't have the, the number of big explosive runs this past year but i don't think that was him as more of how the defenses were that was a function of of the deficiencies we had elsewhere on our offense this year and uh, i really was so impressed by how he just kept grinding all year long just so showed so much leadership and toughness was really impressed by him this year but i, I love what herb street said i, I mean can he run between the tackles? Absolutely. Can he catch the ball on the, uh, uh, on the perimeter? Absolutely. Can he make people miss in space? Absolutely. Those are all things that this guy can do. And if you can do all those things, you are a three down back in the NFL. And that's where the value comes with, with, with running backs. If you can be like a Christian McCaffrey, and I'm not saying 
that Swift is a Christian McCaffrey. I'm saying he has the ability to do some of the things McCaffrey has. I mean, McCaffrey's a thousand yard rusher, thousand yard receiver. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, he's got a huge, I mean, biggest contract for running back in the NFL. Um, but I think Swift has some ability to do some of those same things. Maybe not as well as, quite as well as, um, as what you would see with McCaffrey. But I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he can, he can be dangerous in space. And I also think he can run the ball between the tackles. I think he can do all of those things and be very versatile for your offense. So I think he would be worth a late first round pick. I wouldn't move him up any higher than that. It wouldn't shock me if he went in the second round either. I think it just depends on the needs of those teams down below. But I like I kind of think like, – I, I know it's just mock drafts and he's never really end up being right. But don't you think – like? Number 32 to the Chiefs. Wouldn't that be a good landing spot for Swift? Well, that's a great landing spot if he actually goes there. Yeah, I mean, not only is it like, obviously, they just won the Super Bowl and you have a great quarterback, but I, I just think the way that offense has been structured, I think he'd be a great fit. Just from a, a player perspective, a great fit with that offense and it would just be a, a, another added threat to that incredible Chiefs offense. So that, I mean, if he went there, I would be ecstatic for him. I'd be so pumped up for him. See, I think he would be a, a really, really, really good player for the Chiefs. But uh, yeah, so we'll see where he lands. I, I, I certainly, I'm with you. I think I would, uh, I would venture to to waste, not waste, to spend a late first round pick on DeAndre Swift. Um, all right, let's talk about Jr. Reed for a minute here. Now, here's a guy that's not really mentioned much in the in the in the early rounds at all. Uh, but I, I'm kind of curious to get your take on this because I, I went back and pulled because I remember some conversation about Jr. early in the in the 2019 season and where some of these draft analysts had him projected. And so I went back and found this. Got this. Uh, from Chris Trapasso, an NFL draft writer for CBS Sports. And he had J.R. Reed as a first-round pick back on September 10th. He actually had him going number 25 overall. And I know that's a way, that's a long way away from the actual draft. Um, but now that we are just a couple of days away from the draft, this same draft writer for CBS has it has uh, Reed as the number 136-ranked player, which we've got taken at pick number 136 to so put him towards the end of the fourth round. So bottom half of the draft. And that seems to be the general consensus when it comes to J.R. Reed, like a fourth to fifth roundish type guy. So, Gary, like my question for you is, is a little bit different with Reed. Like, why do you think some people were so high on him early in the season last year, and why he's kind of dropped in esteem in a lot of the, the analyst eyes as we've gotten closer to the draft? Um, I don't know why he was so high. I don't ever think I would have ever had him that high to begin with. But I think he was the hot, you know, the young guy, or not, you know, the player that was coming back, the leader, and everything like that. So he was a hot name. Um, but I, and I think that where he's at now is where he should have been to begin with. From a, from an athletic standpoint, from a talent standpoint, I think fourth or fifth round is accurate, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why they're a little unrealistic because he's not the most talented guy and that's not why he is who he is. Yeah. And that's, and that you're right. That's, that's exactly right. It's, he had plenty of talent, but that's not what made Jr. the player that he was here at Georgia, essentially a three-year starter and, and just a leader of this defense for so long. What made him the player he was was his willingness to put in the time to work, to understand what offense was trying to do, to be a leader, all of those things, buying into our culture, being coachable, all of those things. He's plenty of plenty of talented, but never the most talented guy out there uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, not more talented than a guy like Dominic Sanders was, but never, uh, I mean, certainly not a Richard LeCount level type talent, but he was still such an incredibly productive player for us. And I think, one of the reasons people – and you're kind of I, – I agree with you here. When uh, we're looking at September 10th and Trapasso had him going number 25 overall in the first round, that was very close to you know, the uh, end of the, of the preseason where you're looking at these all-SEC preseason lists and all that and, and the name recognition. And J.R. Reed had 
built himself a reputation, justifiably so, because he played so well his first year as a starter going to his senior year. He had that reputation as an all-SEC preseason type guy, and then he, he started the season really well. Remember that Notre Dame game he had, Kurt, when he was he played lights out in that game? They had a big pick. I mean, he made some yeah. big plays. Yeah, and a lot of us watched that on the virtual G-Day over the weekend. Um, had a huge game there. And then but from that, and he was still really good the rest of the season. You just you didn't hear him get as much national love after that because he just didn't wasn't making the flashy plays and have that, that huge massive game that he had against Notre Dame. Um, and, and so I think once these draft analysts stop looking at, okay, he's a preseason All-SEC player, and they actually start looking at, okay, how does he translate to the NFL from a physical talent standpoint? And they say, you know what, yeah, he's he's a – good, solid, talented player, but not the most talented guy in the world. It makes sense to me to see him drop into like the fourth, the fifth round range. I think that's appropriate for where J.R. Reed would be projected coming out of college. Now, that doesn't mean that J.R. can't be a really productive uh, or a player or even a starter in the NFL. I think he has that capability. We see it every year. We see guys, fourth, fifth, sixth round players that make teams and get out there and, and win a job. And J.R. Reed, like he – do you see him as the kind of guy that has the ability to do that once he gets on a team, go out there and win a job? Yeah, that's his whole thing is just getting yeah. on the team. Absolutely. So I wouldn't be shocked at all. Like I, I think he'll probably be taking the fourth or fifth round based on physical upside and all that kind of stuff. But it would not shock me at all if JRE is starting as early as next year for whatever team ends up picking him. It would not shock me at all, depending on who gets drafted by and what their needs are and, and all of that. I mean, that all factors into it, you know, where your landing spot's a big deal. But – the way what we saw him do here at Georgia, coming in from Tulsa, basically, let's be real. No, like Kirby Star would never say this, but he was a take uh, as a transfer, basically his cousin D'Angelo Gibbs, right? Yeah, that's, and that's, that's why. Yeah, that's exactly why we took Jerry. When we took him, we were like, all of us, myself included, were kind of like, okay, sure, I guess, like, sure, I guess I would take a flyer on him, give him a scholarship if, if it means we get D'Angelo Gibbs. If it means we get Gibbs, cool, let's do it. I don't think any of us had any idea that we would ever turn out to be as good as he ended up being and so much better than his cousin D'Angelo so much better um so I'm I'm glad that Kirby took the flyer on him there and maybe it wasn't a flyer maybe I'm probably you know what Kirby Smart knew what he was doing there so seeing him come in like that kind of just like a throw in to get D'Angelo Gibbs and then turning himself into the player he became I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that he can absolutely certainly do the same thing uh, at the NFL level, and I will be rooting so, so, so hard for Jr. He's a, just a great player for us and, and such a great dude as well. Really going to miss him, no doubt. All right, uh, and finally here, let's talk about Solomon Kinley. I, I know there's a couple other guys that are draft eligible. We've got the Tyler Clarks, the Rodrigo Blankenships, the Charlie Warners, just some guys out there, Lawrence Cager even. But uh, I want to talk about Solomon Kinley here because he's another guy where you kind of just see some difference of opinion here. And you're hearing some uh, some rumors, I guess, some buzz that, he might be sliding in the wrong direction as we get closer to the, to the uh, actual draft here later this week. So if you look at NFL.com, they have Kinley going in the fifth round. SI, Sports Illustrated has him going in the sixth round. CBS Sports has him going in the sixth round as well. Sporting News has him in the seventh round. But then you've got USA Today with a with a third-round grade for him. Draft Site has him going in the second round. Uh, Chris Trapasso has him at number 95 overall on his big board. Um, so, Kurt, there's some difference of opinion here when it comes to Solomon Kinley. I know you've kind of been outspoken about Kinley in the past. What is your take on where Kinley is going to land? Is he more? Is he a late? Is he a late round guy or more of a second to fourth round type guy? Talent wise, I think I would say he's actually probably a third round guy. But his motor—that's always, in my opinion, been his problem. His drive, and I think that's why he'll drop. He'll drop because that's something scouts notice on film. Go and back, me, uh, guy. You guys know I watch. I go back and watch. 
a lot of football. I mean, I, ever since college basketball season was declared over, winning this coronavirus thing, all I do is go back and watch. I have, pro, pro, I got, I have three to four hundred games saved from last year. Not, I and mean, obviously including our games. So I've watched all of our games multiple times now. Go watch Saul McKinley from the beginning of the year, Vanderbilt to the end of the year. Look how much weight that guy put on. I swear to God, he was—he looks like a different dude. I mean, and he's all—I think he's always had the struggles with, with keeping the weight down. Um, and I think when you when you talk about motivation and motor, don't you think that that kind of plays in? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. To me, he's he's lazy. I mean, you yeah. Should, you and I, I, I don't know if I want to say lazy, but he has some lazy tendencies. Maybe he can get lazy. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, that's a better way to put it. He's just yeah. not always there. Yeah, I think when he wants to get in shape and he wants to play and he wants to put the effort into it, he can. It's just he kind of it's harder for him to kind of it seems like without knowing the guy, without being in the football building, just me outside looking in. I see this guy, you know, he loses his job one year, then he gets it back the next year. He's kind of his weights fluctuate up and down. Uh, and I, I hate I don't want to put that that label on a guy, I call him lazy, but like he has some tendencies to where maybe effort uh, doing all the things you have to do to get your body in shape. I guess um, he's kind of inconsistent there. Now he plays hard. Like when he's on the field, he plays really hard. And he's got a, uh, he's got a lot of drive uh, in the run game. I think he's been, one thing that I think uh, has gone really underrated the past couple of years is his ability as a pass protector. Cause I think people look at him and say, he's maybe a guy that's not as, as good a shape as the other guys, the offensive line. And he's maybe not as quick footed as some of these other guys. If you look at the numbers, um, he was as good of a pass protector as we had on the entire offensive line. Uh, he really, at that position, he was very, very good in pass pro. So I, I think that is something, if you look at the NFL being a league that is so dependent on the pass these days, that's something I think would be very intriguing to an NFL GM and some of the scouts, the coaches. But you also have to factor in, along with that, some of the issues controlling his weight that he's had. So I don't know. I, I think he has the upside to – I'm with you. I think he has the upside to be a third-round type guy, but it just depends. I, I think it's. I do think it's a little bit of a risk. Is that fair to say it's a little bit of a risk to take him in the third round? Yeah, because you don't know which one you're getting. Yeah, exactly. If you're getting the best of Solomon Kinley, and you're gonna get the best of Solomon Kinley for five, six, seven, eight years, however many years, because now he's motivated because he knows like he this is money time for him. This is his livelihood. He's gonna be making money doing this. Maybe that motivates him to keep his body in shape a little bit more consistently. Because if he does that, I actually think he can be a star in the NFL. I I, I believe that he can be. Um, at the very least, stick around for a couple of years and make himself some money and take care of himself, take care of his family, all that kind of stuff. But I'm very interested to see where Solomon ends up uh, because it, this just it, it just totally depends on how much risk you are you're good with. Or are you one of those NFL GMs kind of risk averse? And uh, I, I, it's hard to answer that question. But it just takes one. It just takes one GM to say, you know what, I'm going to take this guy in the third round because I think he has that kind of talent when he's motivated. And uh, we'll see. So, again, just like all the other guys on our list here, I wish Solomon the absolute best. I hope he goes in the third round. I think it's probably more likely fifth or sixth round because that's where uh, I think most GMs are not going to take a flyer on a guy like that uh, in the third round. Maybe. It just takes one, like I said. But I, I think he has that kind of talent. But uh, All right, guys. That does it for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. We definitely appreciate you guys sticking with us here. I know most of you will be tuned in very closely to the NFL Draft all weekend long, and we will be back early next week to recap all that, talk about where all of our guys landed, the situations that they're in, what we think they might be able to do early in their career, all of those fun things. We'll have that covered for you guys next week. We'll also be back later this week as well, so make sure to check back in for that. But thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.